Happy Thursday, everybody. Some winners and losers. Great to have you on board with us. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ben Fredrickson. Hello, Ben. Good evening, my man. How are you? I'm good. I know you've been a little under the weather, and it's it sounds like you're feeling as good as you have all week, so that is great news. Yeah, entering the weekend with a bounce in my step. We've been ducking and dodging a, a virus in our house, but I think we're all feeling uh, feeling better today, so... Apologies for sounding rough <laughs> in recent days, and hopefully sound a little bit uh, better tonight. Awesome, baby Lorelai, doing well. She's doing good. Yeah, she's uh, she's tougher than all of us, it seems. So, <laughs> uh, mom and dad are the ones on the struggle bus right now. And Cassandra's doing well. Yes. Excellent. Well, glad uh, glad to hear it, and let's uh, let's dig into our winners and losers for the week, Ben and. I'm going to start with a winner, and I think it's the Cardinals Leadership Council, the veteran leadership that we've heard so much about all offseason long. It seemed like it was a priority, and and a, a priority, Ben, that we were sort of left scratching our heads about, like, why is this such a priority? But you go out and you sign Matt Carpenter, but I think more importantly you sign Brandon Crawford. And, and, and the more you know, I dig into this, and I, I'm – I'm good with the move, and I think it's potentially a winning move for this ball club because here's somebody that's a two-time World Series champion with the San Francisco Giants, four-time Gold Glove Award winner, not that far removed from a top-five MVP finish in 2021. Ben, I I think Crawford's going to be able to help this team out no matter what his role is. I, for one, hope it's not starting shortstop because that means somehow, someway, Mason Wynn has been compromised, and I I certainly do not want to root for that. But he's a left-handed stick. He can – I mean, there is value to having a guy that you can trust to play the shortstop. That's not an easy position to play. So for Mason Wynn, he's hopefully your starter. That doesn't mean 162 games. I could envision somewhere in the neighborhood of like 120 starts for a win, and maybe you're able to move some over to, 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 to Brandon Crawford, and maybe that helps keep Tommy Edmond in the outfield once he's healthy. And I also think it maybe lessens the need to force-feed Matt Carpenter to this roster. And I, I, I am in your camp now that believes Crawford's here for the long haul. You would not make this move if you felt like this was just some sort of short-term, end-of-spring training, start of the season, and then you let this guy go. I think Crawford's here. But Matt Carpenter's a different story. He's getting paid the rest of his two-year contract that the Padres signed him to before last season. And I don't know if the, if the Padres are still paying that or if it's the Braves or, or who's responsible for the rest of that salary. The Cardinals have a very minimal investment here in Carpenter, and, and I get it. You, you don't want to just set sail with him and 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 leave him behind if, you, if, 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 if he can hit and he can help, absolutely. But I feel if he demonstrates a lack of baseball skill at the advanced age he's at, that, that you can move on and and feel okay about it. And I think Crawford being here allows you to be a, a little more diplomatic with how you handle that situation. Well, I think that the way the Cardinals have always handled this is they're going to give the benefit of the doubt to the older established guys, and, and they'll roll with that 
probably in, until they see a reason not to. Now, if Matt can't perform or can't stay healthy, then they're going to have to adjust. But I, I think that they they envision this being a very kind of veteran bench with both of these guys on it entering the season. Um, now, three weeks in, if they're not winning and those guys aren't producing, then things could, could change quickly. We've talked a lot about how tough the start of this schedule is. But I think in, in, in a lot of ways, adding Carpenter – adding Crawford, they're kind of um, message to the clubhouse type of moves where I think they heard a lot from the veterans on this team that they wanted more veterans on this team. <laughs> um, so to add those guys this off season and then to drop one of them after a spring um, before games count, I, I, don't, I just don't see that happening if everybody's healthy. I think more, into, more after a couple months of the season, they'll see, okay, are these guys producing? Um, I think Crawford was more of a position of need because I don't think they're feeling real great maybe about Edmonds timeline right now and it's a lot asking Mason Wynn to hold down a spot without without very a very legitimate backup at shortstop so I think that they're gonna hold a spot for these older guys to start and then kind of address it how it goes but one thing is they can't say there's not a there's not a uh, void of, of leadership voices in the room because they've added a ton of them on the pitching side with Sonny and Lance and Kyle. Not a great debut for Kyle Gibson, giving up two taters in his uh, spring debut today for the Cardinals. We'll see if he can uh, get that under, under control. But the folks who didn't like that signing will be jumping all over that for sure. Um, but now also veterans on the position side. And Crawford and Carpenter, not in how they play and how much time or how much innings, but uh, in terms of what they've experienced, what they can speak to with the younger guys. And listening to Mason win and uh, describe what it means to him, how it motivated him, and also how he's looking to learn from Crawford, I think that is exactly how you want a guy like Mason Wynn to take this news. You want him to be fired up by it, but you also want him to be someone who can look at Crawford as a resource who can help him out and help him get better at his job. Well, steer me in the right direction, Ben, then, because I can easily map why this is a sound baseball move to bring Brandon Crawford on. There are a lot of good reasons. Backup shortstop, veteran leadership, left-handed bat, winning attitude, demonstrated that multiple times throughout his career. Matt Carpenter feels like nostalgia, and I can't find another good reason to... (laughs) back up why he's here other than that he hasn't demonstrated an ability to hit for for a few seasons now after that blip with the New York Yankees the Padres uh, pawned him off the Braves pawned him off and again that's why the Cardinals won't be on the hook for much money here that's again the risk was low and again if Carpenter demonstrates here for the next few weeks that the bat is live of course it'll be an easy trek northward but if he's hitting a buck fifty by the end of spring training, and the question, and again, if if his presence means somebody like Alec Burleson is not on the team, I just cannot sign off on it, and I can't understand why his presence would be required. Other than, hey, he's a one-time great Cardinal, we got to keep him around. That for the moment is all I see. He's got time to to prove he belongs here over these next few weeks, but. If I had any say in this, and of course I don't, but if I did, this would be really performance-based for Carpenter over these next few weeks. Crawford, he can hit 095 these next four weeks. He's on the ball club opening day. I don't think there's any question about that. For Carpenter, I, I don't think it should be an automatic fast pass here to the start of the big league season. Um, 
Well, no, I think you make a good point. I just don't think that's how they view it. Um, I mean, I think they, I don't think they brought Matt Carpenter back uh, to, to then cut him at spring training. Um, I think if he's healthy, he's on the team. Now, if he doesn't hit for two months, he probably retires, right? And and then they don't have to do the, the you know the, the the low road of actually removing him from the team. But I don't think they I don't think they signed him to to to, to be the much discussed last guy on the bench. To then not take him, uh, you know, to uh, L.A. if he if he doesn't hit, you know, doesn't hit well in spring training. Um, I think if they were looking at it that way, they would have given him a non-roster invite, and there would not have been another place for him to go. I mean that that that's just how I how I how I kind of read it. Um, maybe the Crawford thing has changed that. I, I didn't see the Crawford addition as overlapping on Carpenter because I think they are kind of looking at they're kind of being described in, in different roles. So. I'd be surprised if the Cardinals don't put Carpenter on the team no matter what to start, uh, unless he's hurt. If he's hurt, then and maybe it's one of those things now where if he's not performing, he's hurt. And that, we've seen that happen at times before. But I'd be pretty surprised if, if, if they signed him and made this big deal about him being a, uh, a guy who's going to be impactful in his messaging on their bench if they were to then turn around and say, hey, yeah, the numbers don't look good in Grapefruit League, you're – you're not coming. Um, there, there are guys who get that fate. Um, I just doubt that he's going to be one of them. But I mean, am, am I am I wrong here? They're not paying him basically anything because he's still getting paid as part of that two year deal he signed with the Padres. I mean, there is there's no risk for the Cardinals. So it's not as if they went out there and made this big investment in Carpenter. They're taking a shot, and if he and, and if he hits, fine. But. I just I just don't see why it's 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 an automatic fan like you said maybe maybe you do agree with me but I I, I just th- this signing it to me looks different than Crawford where where this is this is a Cardinals contract that nobody else is on the hook for Brandon Crawford but with Carpenter somebody else certainly is so if, if they've got to cut bait there's I I just don't see how that would be a bad look for them unless they're uh, unless they feel very indebted to Carpenter maybe they do. Yeah, I mean, I think we know they do. We, they, they, if, if Matt Carpenter's name was um, Rick Carpenter um, and he never played for the Cardinals, he wouldn't be on this team. So I, I think it very much is a is a move where they feel like it, it has benefits beyond his his uh, his statistics. Um, whether or not that's true, I guess we'll find out. I don't think spring training will be what determines whether or not we find out or not, we'll see. Um, if he goes out there and doesn't hit, and they don't take him, then then I'd, I'd be I'd be surprised and somewhat somewhat impressed. But I just feel like if they were putting it to Carpenter as, hey, you're going to have to prove you can be on this team at spring training, we would have heard a little bit of that. And instead, it sounds very much like they brought him in to be the what they're describing as the last guy on the bench because they think his his um, whatever he's going to do for these younger guys and and his kind of influence on them can be something that they didn't have last year. And we do we think Burleson could be a casualty at least to start the year? I don't know. Um, maybe um, there's a way to do it where he could be on along, along with those guys. But you had Crawford on, and it gets thinner. But uh, you know, the other thing is Burleson could be the guy who who plays in Memphis um, until there's a you know an outfield need. Uh, some of it could depend on where Tommy Edmond is. And, 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 and who starts in center. If Dylan Carlson is your starting center fielder and Edmonds on the injured list, then there's another spot. Um, so that's something to kind of keep tabs on too. But to me, um, Burleson kind of feels like the guy who's 
who's right there on the discussion of what's best for him, where does he make the most impact on your team? Is it he's getting reps every day in AAA, and then he's there ready, um, you know, in, in good shape, in playing shape, um, ready to go when you need him on an everyday basis when, when there's an injury or a setback there always is, or is he better off kind of picking his spots, picking your spots for him on the bench, um, if those may be few and far between, I think that's something they're probably talking about and, and trying to sort out as they go through spring. It must not be too concerned. He's only had three at bats. He's he's not hurt right now, is he, Carpenter? Matt had a Matt had some. Yeah, he had some. Some. It wasn't the Matt Carpenter back tightness. It was, well, that's right. Yeah, he took, right, a, yeah. Pitch. He took right. a pitch. Pitch hit him, and he's uh, been a little slow to recover from from that so far. Um, but uh, you know how that goes with yeah. Matt. Sometimes it's spring training injury we've we've gone down that road before so always better to just to just trust it when he's in there all right ben <laughs> see what the results say how about uh how about a winner or a loser from you here to start us off tonight well i gotta i've gotta go with a loser man to start us out on a on a on a bad note here but uh look i love bracketology at that time of the year tomorrow is officially march 1st it's march madness it's here man yes we're going to start it right here in st louis with arch madness in the valley um, but I gotta say, as someone who loves the bracketology and this religious um, refresher of Joe Lenardi's bracketology, I'm a little disappointed in our guy Joe Lenardi, who took a break from bracketology this week to write a big story about how we all have to accept that uh, NCAA tournament expansion is what's best for college basketball. And I kind of started thinking. I wrote about this for tomorrow's paper. Is like. What if all of the people who got so irate about court storming and demanded that we stop court storming because there were two fake injuries, um, what if those same people got so mad about this idea of expanding the perfect college basketball tournament and ruining it? I mean, what if, what if Joe Lenardi, what if Jay Billis, what if Jimmy Dykes, what if all of these people unified and said, this is, this is, this is crazy, we shouldn't do this, we should kick and scream and fight, NCAA tournament expansion because some people have said it. Our guy Mike DeCourcy at Sporting News has come out and said this is ridiculous, but no one is willing to, no one at the big networks is willing to come out swinging against this idea. And we're just being told, well, this is inevitable and it has to happen. And I, I know I'm not the only one saying, why? Why is it inevitable and why does it have to happen? Because you know, we know what's going to happen. You and I have talked about it. It's going to lead to more middle-ish big conference teams like Texas A&M this year getting in. It's not going to help the teams like Drake in the Missouri Valley. It's actually going to lead to fewer chances for big upsets by Cinderella's because they're going to have to go through it. They're going to have to go through that round of kind of middling um, high major teams before they get a chance to take down a true, you know, David versus Goliath setting. And, and I hate it, man. I don't, I don't know anyone who loves college basketball who doesn't collect a paycheck from the networks or a conference that is saying that the NCAA tournament needs to change in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't hear it from anyone. Right, exactly right. And, and you said it there for a second. For the Cinderella teams that come from the one-bid conferences, are we going to get assurances that they automatically advance to Thursday? Because we, we have gotten those, the... Uh, and it hasn't made a huge impact, but 
those bottom bottom tier conference teams that are on that 16 seed line bend they have been the victims of the 68 team expansion where they play in the first four because one of those 16 teams in fact two of those 16 uh, seeds get bounced before they can ever play on Thursday or Friday and really we've gone about all of you know these last several years with this current format and really not batted an eye about it but when you think about it and you earn that trip you earn that spot of the NCAA tournament you should get to play when the games begin on Thursday and Friday when the tournament truly starts so if we expand to 96 whatever that magic number is what are we going to do about those automatic qualifiers do they still get that spot on Thursday or Friday, or are those, like you said, those 13, 12, 14, 13 C teams, are they all playing on Monday and Tuesday just to get the Thursday and Friday? Because that would be a crime. And then, yes, we're going to be littered with the St. John's of the world and the Texas A&M's of the world getting a chance to move along to Thursday and Friday by beating the tar out of those Cinderella teams on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, it's, It's incredible to me that these bozos can't see the forest from the trees here, and it's putting us in this spot where the NCAA tournament, like you said, the perfect sporting event, is now vulnerable just like everything else because there's a chance somebody's going to be able to line their pocket a little bit more at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. David Baker, the NCAA president now, we can't beat around Mark Emmert anymore. I guess he <laughs> decided to ride off into retirement. He has this quote to ESPN. It, it's, actually, it's actually hilarious. He says, most people will tell you the NCAA tournament is perfect. So when you talk about changing it, you really have to be careful. And it's like, most people will tell you when something's perfect, you don't change it. <laughs> it's like that—that's kind of the definition. If something's perfect, all you really need to do is leave it alone. But they—they they can't do it, and they won't do it. And I just wish that the—the the, enough people in the NCAA, the smaller conference, it's the one probably spot where some of the the mid majors and the smaller conferences can actually have some leverage. And I just wish they would stay to their partners in the NCAA. No, we're not changing it, and what are you going to do about it? Because this threat of like the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC pulling off and creating their own tournament, yeah, good luck. I don't think I don't think they would do it, and I don't think it would be as successful as they'd want. And I think the backlash to it would be strong. And I think if those power, those big, you know, big brand names, instead of trying to muscle around everybody in the NCAA. We're just told, hey, this is the way we're doing it. We're leaving it alone. If you don't like it, go do your own thing. I think if they told their fans that they were leaving the NCAA tournament structure, they they would not like the the response. And this is this is the big difference between college football and college basketball, Ben. The name brands in college footballs, we all know who they are. They do pull certain rating numbers that we can't ignore, and 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 it, it's tough for me to admit that, but that's that's the truth. And those schools, you want to be able to uh, prop up and make sure they're playing in whatever this new ridiculous college football playoff format is going to be. Now, maybe even sixteen teams before it's all said and done. But I do understand having those big brand names a part of it. It does matter for television viewership. 
But if you're paying attention to the NCAA tournament, Ben, it is immune to big names. And in fact, especially early in the tournament, I think it's better if you have some of those Cinderella teams playing a Goliath for a chance to advance to the Elite Eight or to the Final Four. And yeah, once you get to the Final Four, if there's one of those Cinderella teams in there, maybe it impacts the viewership a little bit. But by the time you get to the Final Four, the viewership's just not that much for it to matter. You're going to be around, I think, the same number every year, and maybe it would, maybe it's going to impact it one way or the other if Kentucky's there or North Carolina and Duke are there, or if they're not. Sure, those are the two, you know, the true blue bloods of the sport. But for the rest of the tournament, the television, I mean, I, I just think quoting the TV ratings, unless you were quoting football, Ben, it's pretty irrelevant. All of these numbers are, are below football, and they're never, ever going to get any higher ever again. It is what it is. But the NCAA tournament has an ability to bring in those viewership uh, numbers on those first few rounds, morning, noon, and night, and it's something no other sporting event is capable of doing. And you're risking that. You're you're risking screwing it all up in the name of maybe you get a few more brand names a little further in the tournament. I, I'm here telling you, Ben, I don't think that matters. Yeah, I, I think that if you start messing with this, you put 90, 90 teams in this, I, I wonder if people don't, they're never going to not pay attention to March Madness, but they're going to turn into it later. And you're basically the thing there you we, go. Yep. We, have, we yep. haven't talked about yet. You're basically just saying poof, goodbye to any importance of your regular season. Yep. We talked about this in college football, but man, you want to see people tune out on college basketball deeper and deeper into the regular season, then have those those mid-February games between big conference teams totally not matter because if you're if you're 500, even with a losing conference record, you're all going to be in because that's going to be the bubble. The bubble is going to be a bunch of teams with 500 overall records and losing conference records in high major conferences that are getting in. That makes watching and caring about the conference season basically irrelevant. Yeah, if if you're getting to a point where 75 or 80 percent of the high major conference teams are getting in, because I think that's, I mean, Mizzou still wouldn't get in, but uh, this year, but most other teams you feel like would get that pass. Yeah, you're completely devaluing a regular season that's already been devalued, and that's what we're told, that it doesn't mean anything. That's not entirely true, but that's the perception out there, and, and then you're just driving it home with more teams getting in. And the funny thing about this, Ben, is unlike the college football playoff, where I do believe it's network television network executives that are pushing this, for the NCAA tournament, it does feel like it's the conference commissioners and it's not the TV executives yet. I actually think the TV executives might be smart enough to realize, hey, hey, guys, th- this actually works okay. We're fine with what we have right now. I'm sure some of them would love the added inventory Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I guess. But, man, you're you're just you're wanting to, to tip this thing over a cliff and... We talk a lot about gambling, Ben, and the impacts it has on watching sporting events. This is one where you've got an apparatus in your bracket where the casual fans are watching. And this is where this is where it's important, those first 
two or three rounds where there's a lot of games going on and a lot of people are watching because they have a vested interest in their bracket. It does matter. If you can't set up your bracket until Wednesday night when all of these uh, preliminary round games are done, Ben, the the casual fans are going to say, the heck with it. Why can't I fill this out on Monday morning like I always have? And when you change the rules and you change the way the viewing public wants to consume your product, you are risking alienating a lot of people. Yeah, the hardcore fans like us, we'll still watch. But this, this to me would be a rare occurrence where your sport is actually trying to push your casual fans away. That's what you'd be doing here. Absolutely. And, and risking, again, picking off your target market. And for what? So a bunch of uh, so the 7th and 8th, ninth, 10th best teams in the SEC can get in. And you're absolutely right of who's driving this. The conference commissioners, it's Greg Sankey and his peers in the power conferences who are saying, well, we need more access points. No, you don't. Nope. You, you, no, one, no one feels sorry for Texas A&M when they don't get in. And if, if all of these teams are saying, look, we want it to grow, but we want it to be equal that, you know, we want the Drakes of the world to get in along with the Texas A&M, then I'd maybe listen. If you tell me that, that more than uh, more than one team from, from these really good leagues that don't get enough attention could get in, then, then I'd buy it. But that's just not the case. That's not what's going to happen because they don't have the juice. So and this, and I, I, I'm disappointed that more people with in, with with big names in this. Jay Billis came out swinging against it. I'm glad he did, but I, I think more more of the kind of college basketball talking heads need to speak up. I don't think they will because I think they I think they know that they can't. But uh, this is just going this is going to happen, and there's not going yeah. to be as much pushback as there should be. Yeah, it it is going to happen. I'm afraid, and um, it's. It's a it's a darn shame. And you and, and one last point, you talked about the having access to the tournament. First of all, there's going to be eight or nine SEC teams getting in already right now. There's going to be eight or nine Big Twelve teams getting in. And you know what? For Texas A and M right now, bubble out. They do have an access point. Win your conference tournament. Uh, yeah. in, in, in the Big Twelve, Kansas in. State, Kansas State, they're on the bubble out right now. Guess what? Kansas State, you've got a chance. Go win the Big Twelve tournament, and you're in. No other. Uh, well, certainly you can't do that in college football because once you're out of the conference championship, now of course they are going to have those automatic qualifiers. So, so maybe that's um, maybe that's changing as well. But yeah, you've got your access point. March Madness starts next week with these conference tournaments because your chance to win it all. If you're a small team playing in the Patriot League, Ben, and you've got a 10 and 18 record. Heading into the Patriot League tournament, guess what? Your road to the national championship begins next Monday or Tuesday. You've just got to win a whole bunch of games against teams that are a lot better than you, but there's a chance, and there's a road, and there's a pathway, and there is an access point for all of those schools already in effect. Yep, and they're going to ruin it because it's too it's too perfect, and I wish that more people were standing up hollering about it but I, I, I'm, I'm getting sick and tired of being told, well, it's inevitable, we just have to accept it. No, we, we actually don't. And we actually don't have to be more upset about court storming because two players got bumped uh, <laughs> than we do about the ruining of March Madness. And I'm glad we're both on the we we could not be on the we could not more be on uh, on the same page than we are right now. We are we are shoulder and shoulder here, Ben, 
on keeping March Madness the way it is. And yet, you'd also effectively be ruining all of those conference tournaments that are also a lot of fun walking up to the big dance. Those things are going to become like dinosaurs too. So well done, everyone that uh, thinks they know more than the fan because this is a situation that is just not going to uh, not going to pay off the dividends they think, and uh, we'll we'll all be the we'll be the losers for it. Ben, we'll need to once again do a segment with uh, with us front and center as the big losers. Let's take a break. It's our it is our winners and losers segment on a Thursday night. The big sports show, Brendan and Ben Fred, with you. More coming up after this. Well, we haven't gotten through a lot of uh, winners and losers tonight, Ben. We've uh, talked about the Cardinals signing Brandon Crawford and what it means for Matt Carpenter. We've talked about the NCAA tournament. Uh, ben, I do have, I think we both collectively have the same winner here, so let's talk about it. The WNBA, right? They've just won the Caitlin Clark sweepstakes today. And Caitlin Clark very well could have stayed at Iowa for another year. And her season's long from being over. And she may win a national championship before it's all said and done. I hope she does. But her collegiate career will then be over because she has uh, uh, she has declared for the WNBA draft in a league that, quite frankly, doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of traction. They may get it here in, uh, in a big way with Caitlin Clark. Man, the WNBA league office—they should be doing backflips. Holy there. cow! Um, it's unfortunate for college basketball, but uh, I think that the WNBA has to has to capitalize on this. They've done a great job of growing their brand, of improving their game, and making it more and more popular—not just with women fans, but with fans in general. And they've got a lightning bolt here, joining their league. Um, this is this is the best news the league could have asked for in a, in a long time. She will bring waves of waves of fans to the league, and the reality is they got to try to capitalize on this. Now, there's a pretty good chance she could play for Indiana, correct? There's a team there yeah. in Indianapolis yep. that I think that has a very good chance to, to draft her. Um, that would be, can you imagine, if Huge. she gets to take all those Iowa fans, just bring them with her to Indianapolis would be pretty remarkable as well. And going to a basketball-crazy state like Indiana, I mean, that would be the perfect move and I think the WNBA should be even more excited about that and yes keep her inside that Big Ten footprint it would uh, it would be incredibly incredibly massive I know there's a lot of talk going on this afternoon and this evening what it means for her in terms of uh, her take-home pay if you will and the, and the money she can earn at Iowa versus the money she can earn in the WNBA I will say short term I wonder how it impacts her her celebrity because you go from right now, I mean, she is selling out. Uh, I, I think that this game coming up this weekend, Ben, ben between Iowa and Ohio State, it's going to be the highest get-in price for a women's basketball game. I, I think the lowest ticket price is something around $500 for that uh, for that Big Ten women's basketball game. I, she's sold out the Big Ten tournament. The, the level of passion for college basketball is not going to match the WNBA. So I think short term, I, I don't wonder if she isn't maybe uh, lo- coming on the losing end money-wise. But if her celebrity and her ability stays intact, which it certainly should, it should only get better. I, I mean, it would almost be like invest in the WNBA now because... 
her star power and what she's meant to women's college basketball should have a huge impact on, on, on the WNBA and the money that she should be able to collect there is only going to go up because of her presence. Right, and I think if you're if you're Caitlin Clark and you've broken the records you've broken and you hope to win a national championship this year, then the, you don't think in terms of, okay, how can I make this level the best I can make it? You think of, okay, how can I tackle the next and make it the best I can make it? And there is another level for her. It's playing as a pro, and you know she sees that the all-time greats that she's looked up to have made that jump, and I think she views it as, as okay, let me go dominate on this field. Let me go win Olympic gold medals with uh with, with Team USA, so there's another level for her, and it's a credit to the the women before her who really helped the WNBA become what it has, and hopefully now she can take it to a whole other level. But through endorsements and what the, the league is growing, and, and their revenues have gone up, and they're able to play pay players more and more. And by her making this jump now, leaving a year of college eligibility on the table, she'll be able to expand that even more as long as she's able to continue to perform and like she's not the kind of player who's going to go to the WNBA and not perform she's going to be an impact instant arrival star right in that league and she may be winning you know national champion winning championships there so I think I think her star has a chance to continue to grow and it will just have to be it'll be the WNBA's job to keep up with her um, as she as she turns her focus there but I'm excited to see what she does in the Olympics I think that'll be a really big following now um, for the women's team, maybe as much as we've seen kind of with women's soccer um, at times. So I think that's going to be pretty pretty fun to watch. So I, I think she's making the right call here. Um, I would be curious to know, you know if there was ever a final offer NIL-wise of what she would, could have gotten to stay at Iowa. But she, she must not have been all that interested in that because she, did, she, waited, she didn't wait to the very end to decide. She's, she's getting this out there early kind of letting people know that the decision's made because she could have really waited down to the last second to see what they could have given her. I, I mentioned that uh, I'm not all that interested in the television ratings for the men's incidentally tournament because it sort of is what it is. It's it's a massive money-making three weeks for all of the television networks, but the incidentally women's tournament has been steadily increasing over the years, Ben. I would be curious to see if Caitlin Clark's games, which would be played on ESPN for their tournament, if they don't match or even exceed some of the bigger NCAA tournament games this year. Because, I mean, we talked about her being the biggest star in all of college basketball. I don't know if that would carry over then to to beating the men's tournament, but I bet some of her games will come close. Yeah, I mean, she's appointment viewing, and especially because of this nonsense by – some of these talking heads this year that have, I guess, tried to take shots there because she hasn't won a championship. Her quest to do that this year will be, I think, even more important for some folks. Uh, but uh, yeah, she's she's kind of one of these folks. Like it reminds me of like Kobe Bryant's last season, where you wanted to watch him play just to say you saw it. Um, she's got. I mean, people are making pilgrimages to go uh, to go see her play. There will be some of that in the NCAA tournament as well. I, I hope for the sake of the tournament that Iowa makes a run because it is going to have kind of a, a little bit of a decreased vibe if, if they get knocked out early and, and get upset by somebody. Ben, you have a winner or loser for me here? Well, we did a winner, so I'll, take a, I'll, I'll throw a loser. You and I have praised and talked. As much as we talk about the NFL on, on these airwaves, we, we mostly talk about the Chiefs. Um, so how about a, a rare example of the Chiefs being a, a loser?
Roger, I don't know if you saw the timing of this, but the Chiefs today rolled out their requests for a bunch of public funding for a big, uh, you know, plan of renovations right. that they want to do at Arrowhead Stadium. They want a bunch of public money. They're going to kick in some, but they're really leaning on taxpayers to to really chip in here and saying, yeah, you know, you love the Chiefs. Let's make sure everybody pays their, their hard-earned tax money to help with these renovations. Same day, Clark Hunt gets drilled as the uh, NFL player survey comes right, out for right. certain things that players rank anonymously about their teams. The Chiefs get a uh, whopping F minus um, <laughs> for owner Clark Hunt for the everything from the failing grades from the team nutritionist to dietitian to locker room staff and training staff. Um, just brutal uh, rankings, um, F minus for the Chiefs owner. They got a 4.9 out of 10 from Chiefs players when considering his willingness to invest in the facilities. So I thought it was pretty uh, it was pretty rich that the day the Chiefs are asking the public for funding, that the players are uh, are, are releasing their just total rip job of the owner, not 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 willing to invest in certain things the players think they need. It's it's amazing and. You think of they've won back-to-back Super Bowls, and you're ripping the owner, you're ripping their training facility, you're ripping their trainers, their dietitian, their nutritionists. The only the only saving grace was that Andy Reid got an A plus. So <laughs> Andy I mean, Reid's great, but everything else. Stays. Yeah, I mean that shows you how bad everything else is because <laughs> they love Andy Reid, but they were ranked second from the bottom in, in, with collect, including Andy Reid's ranking with an A plus. Everything else was so bad, it dropped them down to second to last. That's embarrassing for Clark Hunt and the Chiefs. For a, for a proud franchise on the field, what they're doing off it, and has that many players unhappy, wow, that's sort of eye-opening, Ben. Maybe uh, maybe chip in a little bit of that uh, Super Bowl winning. No, no doubt. The, uh, the no locker rooms. There really, there really was some good stuff in some of the articles. Like the players were told, I think, that they were going to have locker room renovations heading into – this past season, they showed up. The only thing that was new were the chairs. Um, like it's kind of like just kind of like some bad news bears, you know, major league type stuff. So, hey Clark, um, hey, if you're going to ask the uh, you know the good people of the KC area to fund your stuff, maybe uh, maybe chip in a little bit of your own money for some locker room upgrades. At least get the boys a get the boys a lazy boy or two in there. No doubt about it. Uh, let's uh, let's take our final break. We'll uh, come back and uh, tie this all together. Final couple minutes here. Our winners and losers on a Thursday night on the Big Five Fifty KTRS. All right, wrapping it up here, Ben. Ben and Brendan with you are Big Sports Show winners and losers on this Thursday night. I got one more for you, Ben. A winner, and it's got to be the folks at Marquette and their compliance department. Uh, I believe it was uh, one of their representatives coming on Twitter last night to slam an internet rumor about their star point guard, All-American point guard Tyler Kolick. Uh, An individual with a Twitter checkmark, no less, went out and said Tyler Kolick had failed a bunch of his midterms and was suspended for the rest of the regular season. Of course that was false, and we were quickly able to learn that when he was out there playing for Marquette against Providence last night. It uh, it forced one of their compliance officers to go on Twitter and say, "Hey, you know what? This is uh, this is not true. Uh, Tyler Kolek has not failed any of his classes. He is eligible. He is playing." And I tell you, man, it is it is brutal in the Twitter streets 
where this is, I mean, it's a regular occurrence, and it always used to be a problem, but you could quickly sniff out the fake accounts. Uh, now it's becoming a lot more difficult when those fake accounts also have Twitter check marks and also somewhat look and act legitimate. Usually you dig a little bit and you can quickly find out, like this guy last night, in uh, uh, his Twitter bio, I'll just say that it gave it away, that uh, this was clearly a fake report. But, but kudos to those folks that quickly snuffed out any hint that this was a real story. Yeah, I mean, you got to be on the defensive now. It's not enough to put uh, news out there. Sometimes you have to be the person saying, hey, don't believe this. It's false. So always good when the, official, uh, the officials step in and do that to shoot something down. But my goodness, it's gotten to the point now where I have to tr- I triple check something before I share it to make sure it's not, you know, altered or coming from someone who's pretending to be someone else or even now there's the ai videos going around of people saying things that aren't true and usually they're made to be funny um in in the sports realm but sometimes you might get convinced otherwise um there was just a photo of yadier molina going around uh wearing cubs uniform stuff that uh i guess is i guess it's real um our guy luis was telling us it's something related to another league and they use the cubs type logo so it's not really what it looks like, but you don't know that when you see it on, on, on social media. So, goodness, it's uh, crazy, but good on Marquette for fighting back a little bit and for uh, for going after the, uh, the the chaos agent here. No doubt about it, uh, Kali. It's frustrating, and it, really, it makes you think, do we just give up Twitter or X or whatever, it is, whatever it's called right now? Uh, it's, it's, we would all be healthier, that bad. for sure. Yeah, no doubt I'm about it. I'm hoping one day it will go down. Um, but uh, for now, stay tuned. Hey, I've got a, I've got one more winner here for us. It's a regrettable winner, but I'll be quick if we have time. Yep, go for it. I don't know if folks are paying attention. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the powerhouse Dodgers, they're, it's hard to believe this. They already have played six spring training games. They're 5-1, and one, and they've been beating teams by a run differential of 24. Um, that's more than double anybody else in any other league so far this spring training. So, yeah, Yamamoto looks good. You know, Otani's hitting home runs. He's now married. It's all good <laughs> vibes for the Dodgers. So they're going to be uh, they're going to be feeling pretty good. I think when the Cardinals go to visit to start the season, it, it, Otani is such a weird guy, and obviously super super secretive of his private life. I mean, basically you get nothing from him on any of that, and then it's like, oh, by the way, I'm married. Everybody, <laughs> has anybody ever even seen his wife? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think we know the name of his dog still. No, no, we don't. Uh, But he had a homer in his first spring training at bat. Yeah. So uh, the results are there. And Yamamoto, uh, he looks pretty dang good, doesn't he? Let's root for them to be the spring training champions because they never go on to actually win the whole thing. So that's uh, that's our best bet. Uh, Ben, we'll do some Mizzou uh, game plan tomorrow. Gabe Diarman scheduled to be with us. We'll uh, get the lowdown on what Gabe thinks about the state of Mizzou athletics. Looking forward to it. Sounds good, man. Yeah, let's dig into this athletic director search and talk some spring football tomorrow night. We'll uh, do that then. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. We've got more coming up next hour. Talk some high school hoops with Jim Powers, some golf with Skip Berkmeyer after the news on the Big 550.